This is the Daily Signal podcast for Friday, December 11th. I'm Virginia Allen. And I'm Rachel Del Judas. What's the latest with the Texas lawsuit filed with the U.S. Supreme Court asking for the ability to file the complaint with the Supreme Court against the states of Pennsylvania, Georgia, Michigan, and Wisconsin over the November 3, 2020 presidential election? What might happen if Texas Senator Ted Cruz does actually argue it as President Donald Trump has asked him to? Hans von Spakovsky, manager of the Heritage Foundation's Election Law Reform Initiative and senior legal fellow at the Mies Center for Legal and Judicial Studies, joins me today on the Daily Signal podcast to discuss. Don't forget, if you're enjoying this podcast, please be sure to leave a review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and encourage others to subscribe. Now, on to our top news. President Trump announced Thursday that diplomatic relations are being restored between Israel and Morocco. The president tweeted another historic breakthrough today. Our two great friends, Israel and the Kingdom of Morocco, have agreed to full diplomatic relations, a massive breakthrough for peace in the Middle East. To establish the peace deal, America has agreed to recognize Morocco's claim to Western Sahara. Jared Kushner, the president's senior advisor and son-in-law, did play a key role in the negotiations. By normalizing relations, the two countries will reopen their liaison offices and will eventually open embassies. The countries will also share joint overflight rights. Morocco is now the fourth Arab nation in four months to strike a peace deal with Israel joining the United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, and Sudan. Former Vice President Joe Biden has chosen Susan Rice, former United States Ambassador to the United Nations and former United States National Security Advisor in the Obama administration, to be his director of the White House Domestic Policy Council. In his announcement of her selection, Biden said via USA Today, Rice is among our nation's most senior and experienced government leaders with the skills to harness the power of the federal government to serve the American people. As a former member of the cabinet, she also understands the challenges and opportunities of running an agency and has extensive experience working with other key members of the Biden-Harris White House team. As National Security Advisor, Susan Rice came under fire for how she handled the Benghazi attack, erroneously stating in TV interviews shortly after the attack that the terrorists were motivated by an anti-Muslim video. Senator Tom Cotton, Republican of Arkansas, is calling for a special counsel to be assembled to investigate nefarious business dealings made by Hunter Biden, former Vice President Joe Biden's son. Cotton joined Fox News on Thursday to discuss the situation, just a day after Hunter Biden announced that a Delaware U.S. attorney's office is investigating his taxes. This investigation appears to be pretty far-reaching. I know the Biden campaign uh, released details of a tax fraud investigation in Wilmington. I think that was just to show maybe the least damaging part of the investigation. There's allegations of securities fraud and money laundering related to Hunter Biden's Chinese businesses, a crooked hospital deal with Jim Biden, Joe Biden's brother out in western Pennsylvania. These investigations span multiple jurisdictions. And if Joe Biden becomes president, then all of those prosecutors are in line to be fired next month. If there are ever circumstances that created conflict of interest and called for a special counsel, I think those circumstances are present here. Cotton added, the Biden family has been trading on Joe Biden's public office for 50 years. And he asked the question, do we really think that that will change if Joe Biden becomes president, the highest office in the land? 
On Wednesday, Hunter Biden responded to the investigation into his taxes, saying in a statement, I take this matter very seriously, but I'm confident that a professional and objective review of these matters will demonstrate that I handled my affairs legally and appropriately, including with the benefit of professional tax advisors. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has dismissed concerns over California Democrat Congressman Eric Swalwell's connections to a Chinese woman suspected of targeting American politicians. Via the Washington Examiner, Pelosi told reporters that, I don't have any concerns about Mr. Swalwell. Here's what she had to say about the situation via the Daily Caller. It was over. You know, that was the end of any communication with those people. So it isn't, uh, uh, I, I don't, I, mean, I think we should make sure that everybody knows what they are being subjected to. Uh, but I don't know that it means that we have to black t- background checks for every intern who comes into the Capitol. I, I do think uh, that it's unfortunate that Mr. McCarthy is trying to make an issue of this when his leader, we all found out at the same time, the Republican leadership and that, that, that several members had been approached. Hmm? Were you briefed on this? We, we were all at the same moment. The House, Republican and Democratic leaders, and the uh, leadership of the committee were briefed at the same moment. Make sure you know that, because he keeps going around saying, when did they know? We knew when they knew. And at that time, that was the end of it. But you know what he's trying to do? He's trying to deflect attention from the fact that he has QAnon in his... uh, his delegation over there, uh, and that, I think, is a danger uh, to in, in uh, terms of our debate here about, uh, you know, what, what the possibilities are for undue influence uh, in, uh, to members of Congress. The Supreme Court ruled unanimously Thursday in favor of three Muslim men who sued the FBI for targeting them because of their faith. The three men were placed on a no-fly list in 2013 when they refused to inform on other Muslims the FBI was seeking information about. Under the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, Justice Clarence Thomas, who wrote the majority opinion, said the men have a right to pursue monetary compensation for the restrictions placed on them. A person whose exercise of religion has been unlawfully burdened may obtain appropriate relief against a government, Thomas wrote. Adding a damages remedy is not just appropriate relief as viewed through the lens of suits against government employees. It is also the only form of relief that can remedy some Religious Freedom Restoration Act violations. Now stay tuned for my conversation with Hans von Spakovsky on the Texas election case and what might happen if the Supreme Court hears it. Conservative women, conservative feminists, It's true, we do exist. I'm Virginia Allen, and every Thursday morning on Problematic Women, Lauren Evans and I sort through the news to bring you stories and interviews that are of particular interest to conservative-leaning or problematic women. That is, women whose views and opinions are often excluded or mocked by those on the so-called feminist left. We talk about everything from pop culture to policy and politics. Search for Problematic Women wherever you get your podcasts. 
I'm joined today on the Daily Signal podcast by Hans von Spakovsky. He's the manager of the Heritage Foundation's Election Law Reform Initiative and senior legal fellow at the Mies Center for Legal and Judicial Studies. Hans, it's always great to have you with us on the Daily Signal podcast. Well, thanks for having me back, Rachel. Well, so the latest in the ongoing election saga, which you actually wrote about for the Daily Signal on right. Tuesday, is that the state of Texas has filed an unprecedented motion with the Supreme Court uh, asking for leave to file a complaint with the court against the states of Pennsylvania, Georgia, Michigan, and Wisconsin over the 2020 presidential election. So Hans, before we go further, can you take us up to speed on what's going on here? Sure. Um, under the Constitution, uh, the, the U.S. Supreme Court has what's called original jurisdiction over disputes between states. What that means is, is that if one state wants to sue another state, they don't have to go to a lower federal court. They can go directly to the U.S. Supreme Court. But under federal law and under the rules of the Supreme Court, um, if a state wants to sue another state, they can't just file a lawsuit with the U.S. Supreme Court. They first have to ask permission, and the Supreme Court has to approve it before the lawsuit can proceed. And that's exactly what Texas did on Monday. They filed a motion asking for permission to sue those four states. They attached their complaint that they would like to get filed uh, to that motion. Um, 17 states have now filed an amicus brief on the side of Texas saying the court should take the case. Uh, six states filed a motion to intervene and actually become parties on the side of Texas. And the Supreme Court told the four states that, that Texas wants to sue that they have until three o'clock on Thursday to file a brief explaining why they should not be sued. Well, Hans, what are some of the main points that the complaint alleges uh, as it does address irregularities that you talked about in Pennsylvania, Georgia, Michigan, and Wisconsin? Can you talk about some of the main things that are discussed in this complaint? Yeah, the complaint actually, it's very well written and it goes into great detail on the changes that were made in the rules governing the election process in each of those four states. And what the, what the complaint in essence is saying is that those changes in the rules were not done by and approved by the state legislatures in each state. Instead, those changes were made either by uh, state officials inside the executive branch of the state governments, like the secretaries of state in Georgia and Pennsylvania, or by judges. And the problem with that, Texas say, says, is that under the U.S. Constitution, the Electors Clause, uh, the U.S. Constitution gives state legislatures the authority to set the rules for presidential elections, not state governments. So what that means is, is that the state legislatures in all four of those states, they could have made those changes, but they didn't. And those government officials who made those changes, and, and the, probably the best example is Pennsylvania. Remember, the state law there says absentee ballots have to be received by the end of election day. And instead, the Secretary of State, with the approval of the state Supreme Court, said, well, we're just going to override that state law, and we're going to accept absentee ballots received up to three days after Election Day. And what Texas says is um, all of those changes in the rules and all of the ballots that were cast in uh, according to those changes in the rules were all invalid votes and that therefore the uh, electoral college votes of those four states should not be allowed to be counted. They also make another claim 
which is a violation of equal protection. Remember, equal protection is the part of the 14th Amendment that says one person, one vote. And in the Bush v. Gore decision 20 years ago in Florida, what the Supreme Court said is that means that every vote inside a state has to be valued the same, and you can't have different standards in different parts of the state for what counts as a vote. And again, they go through, Texas goes through in great details and describes uh, certain changes that were made by election officials that in fact treated uh, absentee ballots cast in some parts of the state differently from absentee ballots cast in other states. And as a result of all of that, Texas, the voters of Texas, and the voters of other states who actually complied with the US Constitution, they were damaged, they were cheated because the changes those four states made, they, uh, Texas says, altered the outcome of the presidential election. Well, I actually was going to ask you more about one person, one vote. If we can unpack that a little bit more, that was one of my next questions. Sure. Was that violated and how do you think the Supreme Court may, do you think that they'll address it if they do, do decide to hear the case? Yeah, the, the, again, if you go to Pennsylvania, one of the very specific examples that Texas gives is this. In Pennsylvania, state law says that if an absentee ballot is received from a voter and it is defective, it's not in compliance with state law, it's supposed to be rejected. So in other words, for example, if a voter forgets to sign the absentee ballot, which is a requirement under state law, election officials uh, have no option other than to simply reject the ballot and not count it. Instead, Texas says, and, and this is, uh, we all know this is true, um, election officials in two urban areas in Pennsylvania, Pittsburgh and Philadelphia, they set up a cure process. In other words, when an absentee ballot came in that was not compliant with state law, rather than rejecting it, they would call and contact the voters and say, you need to come in and fix your ballot. You know, if you forgot to sign it, you need to come in and sign the ballot, otherwise it's gonna be rejected. Um, voters in the rest of Pennsylvania were not given that option to cure their uh, ballots because election officials there actually followed state law. And what Texas is saying is that set up basically a two-tiered system with voters in those two big cities giving, being given more of an opportunity to vote than other voters, and that violates the one person, one vote standard. Well, Hans, as you mentioned earlier, uh, there are now at least 17 states that have joined this lawsuit. Do you right. think that puts pressure on the Supreme Court to hear this case? It does put pressure on them. You know, the, the way this, this works is, uh, like I said, uh, Thursday, three o'clock was the deadline for the four states to respond. Uh, usually on Fridays, the justices at the Supreme Court have an internal meeting where they discuss and vote on potential new cases to, to take. So I suspect that what's going to happen is on Friday, uh, there will be a, a formal vote inside the Supreme Court on whether or not to give Texas approval to continue with this lawsuit. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen. The one thing I will say about this is that while I think there is actually substantive merit to the claims being made by Texas and now all these other states, you know, it's from a legal standpoint, it's kind of a Hail Mary pass to try to convince the Supreme Court to take up a case that could potentially change the outcome of a presidential election. The political consequences of that 
would be very serious. And there may be justices on the court who, despite the valid legal issues, aren't willing to do that. So if this case does go forward and the Supreme Court does decide to hear it, Hans, when right. do you think the soonest would be that the case is heard? Oh, I suspect that if they actually decided on Friday to take the case, uh, they would probably schedule oral arguments as soon as possible. They, they probably wouldn't do it this weekend, but I would suspect they, they might uh, schedule oral arguments uh, by Monday, just a couple of days uh, further along to hear oral arguments, because obviously, uh, you know, they're well aware of the dates of the meeting of the Electoral College and how a decision has to be made extremely quickly about this. Well, if the case, another hypothetical question, but if the sure. case is taken out by the court, uh, would you say that this would potentially be unprecedented in American history? Um, and if so, why or why not? Yes, uh, it, it is unprecedented. Um, we've never had a situation before, at least that I'm aware of, in which uh, the Supreme Court was asked to invalidate uh, the votes of four different states. And the remedy that Texas is asking for is one, to declare that uh, the way those four states administered their elections violated the U.S. Constitution, and therefore their electoral uh, votes should not be counted, and instead they should be ordered to hold a new special election. As an alternative, Texas requests uh, if, if the elections have already been certified, uh, Texas asked that the court order the legislatures of each state to appoint a new set of electors in compliance with the U.S. Constitution. The New York Times reported on Wednesday uh, that President Trump has asked Texas Senator Ted Cruz to argue this case. Hans, what do you think of this and how likely is it that this will happen? And if the senator does argue this case, um, how do you expect this to go? Well, Ted Cruz actually is a, before he was a U.S. Senator, he was the Solicitor General of Texas. In other words, he was the state official designated with arguing cases before the U.S. Supreme Court. He's a very experienced litigator. He has argued numerous cases before the U.S. Supreme Court. In fact, he was a law clerk at the U.S. Supreme Court early in his career for William Rehnquist. So if he were to argue the case, uh, Texas would have a very good uh, person up there arguing the case for them. But keep in mind, this was not filed by the Trump campaign. This was filed by Texas. So it would be entirely up to Texas to decide um, who would argue the case for them. I think the Trump campaign has asked for permission to intervene in the lawsuit if the Supreme Court uh, gives its go-ahead, but uh, again, we're all just going to have to wait to see what the Supreme Court does about this. Well, and we can't predict what the justices will end up doing, uh, but it definitely seems unlikely, of course, that Justices Kagan, Sotomayor, or Souter would be sympathetic to the Texas case. Um, but do you have any predictions, Hans, on how Justices Thomas, Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, Barrett, or Alito would view this case? And what are your thoughts as well on Chief Justice Roberts, uh, who's often now become a swing vote? Boy, I, I really can't predict how the, the justices will rule. I think you're correct that the three liberal justices on the court, uh, I, I don't think there's any question that they will vote to refuse to um, let the case go forward. Uh, Chief Justice Roberts has become the switch hitter, the, the person who uh, switches his vote ever since Justice Kennedy left the court. I suspect because of the politically controversial nature of this, uh, he, he 
there's a good possibility he would vote with the liberals. Uh, how the five remaining justices will go on that, I don't know. Um, I think there are serious constitutional issues that have been raised, and I think they really need to be dealt with, uh, certainly for future elections to, to ensure that state officials within the executive branch of those uh, branches of those state governments don't just think that they can override election rules and laws set by the state legislatures. I think that would lead to potential chaos and other uh, contentious elections as this election has been contentious. But how they're going to vote, I, I just can't predict. So Hans, I have another hypothetical for you. Uh, if this case does go to court in Texas, what happens to the 2020 election in these four states? Do they have another presidential election? How does this affect the national election itself? And could this potentially delay the uh, next president's inauguration? We've never had anything like this happen before. Uh, as I said, Texas is asking the court to declare that the electoral votes of those four states uh, should not be counted and that those four states be uh, forced to either have new elections or for the state legislatures to uh, appoint new electors. Um, you know, again, we've never had anything like this happen before that I'm aware of in, in American history. Uh, all of that would have to be done before uh, January 20th. If not, there actually is a federal statute that says that if the outcome of a presidential election has not been determined by January 20th, the date of inauguration, the acting president of the United States shall become the U.S. Speaker of the House. So even if this controversy went on, uh, Donald Trump would not remain as the president. Instead, uh, Speaker Nancy Pelosi, assuming she's reelected as the speaker, uh, would become the acting president of the United States while this uh, is resolved either in the courts or with new elections. Well, on the flip side, Hans, uh, if this case goes to court and Texas loses, what are the implications for future elections? I think the implications, frankly, are dangerous. The Constitution is very clear that it's state legislatures who set the rules uh, for how a, uh, a presidential election will be conducted in their state. And I think it's dangerous uh, to have a situation in which uh, state court judges and other other judges interfere with those state laws and change the rules in the middle of an election. I think it's also dangerous if state officials, governors, secretaries of state and others think that they can simply override state laws and change the rules in the middle of an election. And the reason for that is that uh, governors, for example, are partisan elected officials. And they might, if they can get away with this, change the rules governing an election to uh, favor the candidates of their political party. That's why uh, you don't want that kind of thing to happen besides the fact that it violates the constitution. So I think this has been a very dangerous development this year, one that the courts need to deal with and prevent from happening in the future. Well, Hans, are there any other possible outcomes besides an outright win or an outright loss for Texas? And how else uh, in this vein could the Supreme Court decide to rule? Well, look, I, I guess it's possible that the Supreme Court could allow this case to go forward, could make a ruling on uh, the merits of the case and say that these local officials violated the Constitution when they changed the rules 
But on the other hand, the court might not be willing to provide the remedy that uh, Texas wants to declare the votes of so many voters to have been uh, invalid. So they might rule on the legal issue without providing the remedy that Texas is seeking. Well, Hans, you had alluded to this earlier, but does this uh, lawsuit have any implications for states' rights? And would you say Texas is trying to control how other states handle their elections? Well, I have no doubt that's the argument that would be made by the four states when they reply to this. Uh, I, I have no doubt that they will be arguing that how they run their elections is no business of Texas. But Texas, I think, actually makes a very strong argument, which is that the process of electing a president and a vice president uh, is a national uh, in scope election. And that if one state uh, violates the Constitution and engages in behavior that uh, uh, alters the outcome of a presidential election, that that damages the voters of Texas and other states that have followed the law and have followed the Constitution. So I, I actually think that is a sufficient claim to give Texas standing to bring a lawsuit like this. Well, we're going to continue following this. I'm sure we'll I'll circle back with you next week. Hans, thank you so much for joining us on the Daily Signal podcast. It's always great to have you with us. Sure. Thanks for having me. And that'll do it for today's episode. Thanks for listening to the Daily Signal podcast. You can find the Daily Signal podcast on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Please be sure to leave us a review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. And as always, please do encourage others to subscribe. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back with you all on Monday. The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is executive produced by Kate Trinko and Rachel Del Judas. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. For more information, visit DailySignal.com.